0: nephew, a son, a daughter, uh, with a failed marriage. Something that you never expected in life. Unexpected. And our own marriages might not be uh, what we expected them to be. And, And God perhaps has not blessed you or someone with a mate in life. And that can be a struggle. Or perhaps a mate has passed away. So marriages are often... Uh, what happens in marriage is often unexpected. Children. Our children can be uh, messed up in some ways. Uh, perhaps you have child, a child that is not seeking the Lord or perhaps is running after the world uh, and estranged from the family or estranged from a father or a mother or a brother or a sister. These are very real things as I look at my own family and families around me. Uh, that's not what we expected. Or we want children, and we don't have them. Or we want grandchildren, and God hasn't blessed us with them yet. Or perhaps a child is born with a disability. Or worse yet, a child is stillborn. Shattered expectations. You have had them, and you know people that have had them as well. Finances (laughs) can really be messed up. Uh, people with no income or people with low income. Uh, people with debt that is drowning them. And yeah, people with too much money. <laughs> Some of you are saying, oh Lord, give me that problem. <laughs> but I know people that have lots of money and you know what? Their expectations aren't what they thought they would be, the things that have happened. Your work, your job, your career, It might not be what you expected in life. Probably isn't. Perhaps it's not challenging. Perhaps it's boring. Maybe it's stressful. Maybe you've got a bad boss. Maybe there's nowhere to go in your job and you feel like, well, I'm stuck. Fellow employees that are hard to work with, of course, we're all pretty easy to get along with, but uh, uh, challenges, shattered expectations, long hours keeping you from having a life, It's not my dream job. How about health? Health can really be messed up sometimes. Some of you have chronic pain, some of you have limitations, disability, or injury. I think about people in our church that we know that are struggling even now with real health issues, aging challenges. Not what we expected, shattered expectations. And then there's failure in life. (laughs) You know, I think about failure um, failure to complete something. There's some things in my life that I failed to complete, and they still haunt me sometimes. Or perhaps in a venture or an idea, there's been a failure, or a failure in a friendship or a relationship, or bad decisions. We see that as a failure, maybe even a sinful decision, or just generally feeling like I'm a failure in life. So when life seems to go all to pieces, we often try and fix it on our own. I know I'm a fixer. Uh, If you tell me about a problem, I'm going to tell you how to fix it. Uh, My wife doesn't always appreciate that. Uh, sometimes she'd just like me to listen. So, uh, but we, we try and fix things on our own. But God, and I want you to hear those two words, you know how I love those two words, but God has a plan, and he has a purpose. Isaiah 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I rest in that phrase because we don't understand what's happened all the time in our life. We don't understand the whys and the wherefores. We don't have to understand. We have to have confidence in a God whose ways are higher than our ways and whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So as we begin this series in First Samuel, looking at shattered lives, and every week we'll see something about shattered lives. I would really be remiss if I did not set the context. Um, I appreciated what uh, Phil read this morning about preach the word be uh, instant in season and out of season, and the Lord actually gave me that same word this morning. Uh, I was reminded as I was reading, I have to look at what I read this morning, that's how old I am, it says preach Jesus, preach Jesus. So I want us to know this morning that as we look at Shattered Lives, that God had a plan in the book of First Samuel. The nation of Israel, if you remember, the nation of Israel had just come out of the time period of what was right before First Samuel, not Ruth, Judges. And you remember what was going on in the book of Judges, the period of the Judges? There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound like our country, our culture? Yeah, it does. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. So God, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, is taking the nation of Israel from the time period of the Judges And you know, Samuel was really the last judge. Even though he was a prophet, he was the last judge. And so God is taking uh, the nation of Israel from the time period of the judges to the time of the kings. And that's interesting because God knew the hearts of his people. And he knew that they desired to be just like the rest of the world. And isn't that often our desire? We we don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. We want to be like everybody else. Everybody else had a king, and they had a king with skin on them, and they, in a sense, reject God, his theocracy, which means God is the king, and they say, no, we want we want a regular king like everybody else has. And so God has some lessons to teach to his people, and he had another purpose. He was Pointing at the final king. Who's the final king? The Lord Jesus. So all of Scripture, I remind us of this all the time, all of Scripture points to the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ said in John five thirty nine, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you find eternal life, but it's the Scriptures that point to me is what Jesus says. So whenever you read the Scripture... Look for the Lord Jesus. So look for the Lord Jesus in 1 Samuel and and help me with that. So he's pointing to King Jesus. And here's what he's going to do. God's going to do in 1 Samuel. He's going to introduce, he's going to use Samuel to introduce and orchestrate the period of the kings. But the first thing he wants to do is use Hannah this morning to teach us some lessons, to teach us how he works through what we see as shattered lives and messy lives. You got a shattered life in some way this morning? A messy life in some way? I want us to see how God works through those things to teach us. Just pray with me one more time. Father, would you teach us this morning from your word, and would you change us for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. So turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. In your Bible, and we will be there this morning uh, for a short period of time. And the first thing I want us to see this morning is Hannah's distress. Hannah's distress. Uh, I want you to understand that Hannah's life is messy, and so is ours. And so I'm going to read the first 10 verses. And I want you to follow along. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And as we go through these points, we will go through this chapter. Uh, We will read all of it. There was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim. I knew I was going to spit that one out with a little problem. Of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, we'll get to those people next week, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. There's some things for us to learn out of this this morning. Uh, Hannah's distress. Why was she distressed? Well, she was a barren woman. Let's start there. You see, Elkanah was married first to Hannah, If you you look back into Jewish tradition, you'll understand that she had probably been married for 10 years to Elkanah and had no children. But this was his first wife. This was who God had intended for him to marry. And we're told that he really loved her. It doesn't say that about Peninnah. So it's very careful. God's word never makes a mistake. He says that Elkanah loved Hannah. And I believe that he did love her. And he gave her double portions uh, when they went to the temple. Of course, he gave portions to Peninnah and all of her children, but he gave Hannah double portions. I think because he felt sorry for her. And we're told, and this is important, when we look at our lives and their shattered expectations, what do we think about God? And we're told here very clearly that the Lord closed her womb. Often I tell people that God allows things in our lives. You know, he's a sovereign God, and he he causes things in our lives. When I go into the prisons, uh, one of the first questions I'll ask of a man is why do you think God allowed you to come here? And I think a better question might be why do you think God caused you to come here? We have to recognize God's sovereignty. So here's a woman that desperately wants children, and God caused her womb to be closed in his sovereignty. But he had a reason. And then Elkanah, sensitive guy that he is, one of my favorite lines in scripture. I have to walk over by Kathy to do it because, you know, it's only appropriate with your own wife. Why are you crying? Why are you weeping? Aren't I better than ten sons for you? She's giving me a very strange look. She knows I'm not. So, a typical guy. Insensitive. No comfort for his wife. I suspect she burst out crying when he asked the question. No, she says in her heart, you're not. (laughs) But that was Elkanah. Hannah's distress was, she was a barren woman, but you know what, she was in a bigamist marriage. Elkanah, it says, was a worshiper of the Lord of Hosts. The Lord of Angel Armies, the same God that you and I worship, he worshiped. And sensitive guy that he is, he decides he's going to fix this problem. And what was the problem? It's a paternalistic society. Men were valued more than women. That's not right, but that's what was going on. And everybody wanted to have a son. And every woman wanted to give her husband a son. And so uh, Elkanah figures, I know how to fix this problem. And he takes another wife. He takes another wife. That's never God's plan. And before we, you know, really judge him and criticize him, think about the things that we might do (laughs) that are not exactly right to fix a problem that we have young person possibly compromising and saying, you know, I know this, this man or this woman isn't a Christian, but I, you know, I don't see anything coming down the pipe. I'm going to marry this person. We make decisions like that all the time. We compromise, and, and that's what Elkanah did here. <laughs> and it's never God's plan for a man or a woman to be married to more than one person. So where is it that we imitate our culture? So now, Peninnah, no doubt she's younger, and her name, by the way, Hannah's name means grace and favor from God, and Peninnah's name means jewel. And I'm just imagining Elkanah talking to my little jewel. You know, (laughs) this younger wife, no doubt younger, and she gave him children. Oh, did she give him children, sons and daughters. He was trying to fix something the wrong way in his life. That caused Hannah distress. And bad relationships was the other thing that we see her. You know, when God's word calls somebody a rival, there's a reason for that. <laughs> it says her rival provoked her grievously. Sometimes, you know, does a person ever come up to you and and they're kind of telling you about things in their life. and It's like a Christmas card you get. And they send you a picture, and the whole family's tan and beautiful and wonderful. And you look at your family and wonder what's wrong with your family. And then you, you recognize. It's like bragging almost. And so I'm seeing Peninnah going, hey, look at my kids, you know, double portion. And she's rubbing it in. It says so in the Bible. She's rubbing it in. She wants to irritate her. And it says year by year. And you know what? It says as they're going to the temple, she's doing it. Can you imagine that on the way to church? (laughs) Rubbing it in and trying to irritate your rival. How sad is that? It was really a bad decision by Elkanah to bring a rival into the marriage. I thought about that. Do we bring things into our marriage? that rival, cause a rival? I think sometimes we do. Something to think about. Just a little sidetrack there. But no wonder Hannah wept and would not eat. And no wonder she was deeply distressed and weeping bitterly and praying to the Lord at the temple. So think just for a moment. What has distressed you in your life? I want you to think about that. What has distressed you in your life? And if you can say nothing, praise the Lord, but I suspect there's something in your life that's caused you a lot of stress and pain. Where does it seem that God has maybe shut you down and not answered the prayer that you have? And what causes you to weep and to pray? Let's move on. Hannah's discernment. She had lessons to learn, and so do we. This is verses 11 through 16, so follow along with me. And she, that being Hannah, vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to you sir, your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have, not, I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Wow. Wow. Hannah's discernment. She had lessons to learn, and so do we. First thing I want you to see about Hannah is she doesn't dull the pain. She doesn't seek to dull the pain. That's a little thing, you know. You have to wonder, why did God put that little part in there about whether or not she was drinking? (laughs) So Eli, the priest, when he sees her, he jumps to the conclusion that she's drunk. Now, maybe he'd seen that before, or, or perhaps he had a low opinion of, of women, or Hannah, I don't know. But he assumes that she's drunk. But Hannah assures him quite candidly that she's not pouring out libations. She says she's pouring out her heart to the Lord. And I think that's really important for us to understand. Because how often and in how many ways do we seek to dull the pain in our lives? Come on, we do that. I know I do it in certain ways. When there's a problem, there's a lot of places that we go. Some people go to alcohol, drugs. Some people go to pornography. Some people go to books, TV, and on and on and on. I can list the things that we use to dull the pain in our lives, to escape the pain. And you know, we live in a society that believes that nobody should have to bear any pain. That's not what God intended. Not at all. God told us that there would be times in our life that he needed to teach us, times that there would be pain. And yet we push back. We don't want to go through those things. We want everything to be smooth and happy and easy. I think of abortion. Why do people get abortions? Sometimes it's convenience. Sometimes it's to avoid the the pain of doing this. And and so we we take control in that way. And, And I think about people now in our country and around the world that are coming to the end of life, and they're struggling with pain. And we do everything to keep them from their pain, even to the point of assisted suicide. And so we're a, a, we're a culture that says no, we don't want to struggle with pain. But here's Hannah. She was transparent. She was honest with God about her heartbreak. I don't think she tried to run away from it. She left it in God's hands when she went to the temple, and was willing to trust the Lord with her request. There's a, the text says that Hannah rose. <laughs> I love that because I think of Hannah as being down, distressed, down, and in the dumps. And two words in there Hannah rose. She got up, she made a conscious decision to go to the temple to take her pain to the Lord. And that's what we're to do with our pain, is to take it to the Lord. You know, I love old songs and I'm prone to sing them once in a while and hoping that you might join me.
1: What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not care. We. Everything to God in prayer.
0: Thank you, choir. I appreciate that. Give your problem over to the Lord. That was part of Hannah's discernment. But align your plans with God's purposes. So I think Hannah, I really believe that she came to a great understanding about her desires. She desperately wanted children, didn't she? And there's some things maybe that we desperately want, especially she wanted a son. Why did she need this? Why did she want this? Why do we want the things in our life? I I think she needed this in order to feel whole, like a a whole woman. And I think she needed it to be accepted. Uh, The culture was not accepting of her, and I think she needed it for her own fulfillment. And, you know, I'm not saying that those are wrong things, but I think she learned something deeper than that from the reading of the scripture here. But God showed her that children are not just for the parents. They're for the Lord. God lends children to us and grandchildren, but he has a greater purpose in mind And here's what needs to happen. This was, I'd never seen this before, but uh, I read something and it helped me to see this. Our desires need to line up with God's desires. When we bring things to him, we need to make sure they're lining up with what God is wanting to do, what his will is. So here's what Hannah prays. She prays that if you will give me a son, then I will give him right back to you, Lord, to be used for your purposes all the days of his life. So now she's moved beyond her own fulfillment, her own uh, needs as a woman, her her need to be complete. And she's looked at this and said, you know, God, if you give me this, I'll give it right back to you, and you can use it for your glory, for your purpose. And you know what? That's what happened. Hannah prayed for a a son, and God wanted to have a Samuel to meet the needs of a nation. So it was a combining of her desire and God's will coming together. And I think that's a beautiful picture. (laughs) She prayed for what God wanted. So when we pray, we need to be praying for what God wants, for what his desires are. (laughs) I'm not saying that's a guarantee that God's going to answer your prayer that way. But what a beautiful way to pray, pray and what a, what a way to understand God. So think for a moment at the end of this. Are you trying to dull pain in your life? Be honest. Are you pushing back and saying, no, Lord, I don't want this. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It says, Hannah rose up We need to rise up, take these things to the Lord in prayer. I was thinking about this. Kathy and I have been praying uh, about purpose in our lives and and certain specific requests that we have. And isn't God interesting how He works? Uh, We had the blessing of having Jenny with us last week, my niece. And uh, she's lost her father, my brother. Uh, He died at age 46. And so she came out and spent four or five, six days with us, and we had a wonderful time riding bikes long distances, uh, wearing me out, but it was a a chance to get to know a niece. And we got to do something at the end of her week, something uh, that I do when I take kids into prisons and, and other venues, is we wrote her a blessing. Uh, something that we'd seen in her life, some things that we'd seen that God is doing in her life, the gifts that he's given to her. And Kathy and I, uh, at the end of our visit, we put our hands on her and, and read this blessing to her and prayed over her. And she doesn't have a father to do that now. Uh, he missed that opportunity. She left, she said it was the richest, maybe the richest week of her life. And that was so meaningful to me. But when Kathy and I uh, were coming home from the airport and we were talking about, well, you know, uh, we're still praying for God's purposes, and and it kind of hit us both at the same time. We've got eight nieces and nephews uh, from three families that have lost their fathers. And I thought, wow, now there's a purpose to bless each one of those nieces and nephews if God would give us that opportunity. So take things to the Lord in prayer. Expect him to answer, maybe not in the way that we expect it or the way that we're primarily praying, but that's how God works. It's really interesting to us. Line your will up with the Lord's will and wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. So we move on. It's not going to be a long message. We're getting closer. We move on to Hannah's delight. God shows his love to her, and he also also shows his love to us. It says in the text that her face was no longer sad. This is verses 17 to 20. Allow me to read those, please. Starting in verse 17, Then Eli answered, Go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose up, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. By the way, God doesn't forget people. That's just our way of understanding. The Lord remembered her, and gave her what she asked for. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So this is Hannah's delight. I love this part of it. Her face was no longer sad, but think about it. It wasn't after she got what she wanted when her face was no longer sad. It was before that. She'd taken her prayer to the Lord and the priest had, had blessed her and when she walked out of that temple, it said that her whole countenance had changed. And I believe that's because she, she finally trusted the Lord. She finally trusted the Lord with this burden and she would wait on him peacefully. Huh. So how many years had she wept and prayed for this thing? We know she'd been married at least 10 years without a child. And finally she has peace, and it's before God answers that prayer. I think that's a beautiful thing. We need to learn, and I was thinking about that on the, on the way here this morning. Our contentment, our satisfaction is in the Lord. It's not in what we desire. And I think that's what she learned there for contentment and trust and peace is in the Lord, not the things that we desire. That's a a tough lesson because we all desire things and and we think if God doesn't give them to us right away that there's something wrong. And we need to learn to be content and satisfied in the Lord and trust him. So a boy is born. (laughs) A boy is born. And... uh, I don't think I'm going to take the time to do it because I don't want to keep us here too long. But I'd like to give you an assignment. I'd like you to read chapter 2, Hannah's Prayer. It's really interesting. And please take that assignment when you leave today, sometime or this week. Read how Hannah praised the Lord in her prayer. (laughs) She talks about her rivals. She talks about God and his glory. And if you'll read that back to the Lord, like I've done it a couple times already, It's an amazing experience to read that prayer to the Lord. But I'll let you do that on your own. That's your assignment. And and here's what happens. All glory goes to God. (laughs) The boy is born, and she gives all the glory to God, especially in that prayer. Read it back to the Lord. And then, bearing the name of Samuel, there's the meaning there, I have asked for him from the Lord. Beautiful name. I have asked for him from the Lord. So think for a moment. Will you find peace and contentment in the Lord as you entrust your desires to him and wait on him? And will you give him all the glory no matter what the outcome? So we move on to Hannah's decision, verses 21 to 23. She lives to appreciate and prepare, prepare God's gift, and so should we. But listen to verses 21 to 23. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, "'As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him "'so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord "'and dwell there forever.'" Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. So Hannah decided that she was going to become a stay-at-home mom. And uh, she decided that this gift that the Lord had given her in the person of Samuel... She was really going to hone in on that gift. She was going to put her energy and all of her attention to that and enjoy this gift from the Lord. She's going to keep him home for those first five or six years because this is the gift that God has given her. That's how long it was until normally until a child was weaned in those days. And she devoted her life to this gift from God. I love that picture. Uh, she says to her husband, I'm not going up with you this time. I'm staying home, and I'm going to hone in on this child. And what was she doing? She was sanctifying her child. Uh, it, it might seem like she'd spoil him, right? She's been waiting all this time, and she's going to spoil this child and pamper him, and, and uh, apparently not, because I, I, I think we'll see by the end that she didn't do that. And her husband, he gives his blessing for this. He says to her, "Do what you think is best." How many wives in here? Are your husband tells you to do <laughs> what you think is best. Ah, uh, there's one. Oh, there's another one. Oh, great, that's good. There's another one. He's telling her to raise her hand over there. <laughs> uh, uh, careful, careful, Bill. So, I love that he said, "Do what you think is best." He trusted her with that. And then, he says, only may the Lord establish his word. And I thought about, what in the world does that mean? What's he talking about there? And, and, and it could be that it was like a prophetic statement. You know, we said that God wanted a Samuel to accomplish his purposes, and maybe he made a prophetic statement saying that God's going to establish his word through, through Samuel. But I think more than likely... I think Elkanah was reminding Hannah to establish God's word in Samuel as she raised him. So it could have been both things, or just one of them, I'm not sure. But for sure, she did. You know, Deuteronomy says you shall teach these words diligently, the words of God. Teach them diligently to your children. You'll talk of them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And I think that's what Hannah did. I think she sanctified her son. That word bothers people. All it means is set aside for God's purposes. God gave me this gift. I'm setting it aside for your purpose, Lord, because I'm going to give him back to you, and I'm going to raise him in your word. And that's what every parent is supposed to do with the gift of a child. And that's what she did. So think for a moment as we come to the end here. When God answers your prayer... When you ask God for something and he gives it to you, do you take the time to appreciate and enjoy that answer from the Lord? I think sometimes I ask the Lord for something, he gives it to me, and I move right on to the next thing that I want to ask the Lord for. And I think we need to take the time to appreciate what God gives us. When we have an answer to prayer, we ought to talk about it with each other. We ought to praise the Lord for it, and we ought to think about it. What God has given us. <laughs> and uh, God has given us so much. And do you set that answer, whatever that answer is? You know, Kathy and I, when we buy a car, we have this little tradition of setting it apart to the Lord. Lord, thank you for this car. It's a gift from you. Will you use it for your purposes and glory? We bought a gold Honda Accord sanctified it to the Lord, drove it down the street, and somebody shot it with a BB gun. <laughs> so we had a dent in it in the first week. But it gave us an opportunity to meet the young man who shot it with the BB gun, invite him over to my house to work off his debt of putting a debt in, in my Honda, and actually minister to him in a, in a little way. And so that's, that's how God works. He answers our prayer. He gives us something. We give it back to him, sanctify it. And then God gets the glory. And so do you do that with the answer to prayer that God gives you? Last point, Hannah delivers. She keeps her promise to the Lord, and so should we. Verses 24 to 28. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. By the way, count how many times the word the Lord is used in there when you reach through that passage sometime. I think it's 17 or 18 times. Uh, I'm, I'm the woman That was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Let me wrap this up. Samuel is lent to the Lord, and I want you to see this picture. It's a mother. And try and understand it. With her firstborn child taking him. <laughs> and it says in here, and the child was young. That's a standalone sentence. So I think God's trying to help us understand something here. She's taking this child, and the child was young. Five or six years old. How many of you have dropped a, a child at college or somewhere else? It's can be painful, can it? Yeah, I remember dropping my son Paul off at a ranch in Wyoming to be a cowboy and knowing he was struggling with the Lord. And I cried when I dropped him off. I'm not ashamed of it. Then I remember dropping my daughter off in Texas, El Paso. Uh, no, this was Abilene. And, uh, <laughs> and she was going to go to school there. And I was all good until we were on the way home and crossed from Texas into Oklahoma. And I had to pull off the road. I was crying so hard. It's painful to give up a child and, and turn him over to the Lord. But this was young. Can you imagine? This child was young, five or six years old, and she's taken him away and giving him back to the Lord. So I think that's a picture that we need to understand, delivering him. She delivered him to the Lord. And not only did she deliver him to the Lord, but she brought along uh, all the fixings for a sacrifice. <laughs> she brought along... Uh, the makings of a feast, a sacrifice to the Lord. She was going to praise the Lord in what she was doing. Uh, That's amazing to me, uh, that she would do that. She'd take him to the Lord and bring all the fixings for a sacrifice and a feast to the Lord. How hard was that to do? But she kept her promise and lent him to the Lord. And then you know what it says? Last verse, and he worshiped the Lord there. Who's it talking about there? samuel huh so not only she did she deliver the person of samuel but she delivered on her promise to sanctify him to the lord because immediately when he gets to the temple that five or six year old son is worshiping the lord and what a beautiful picture that is she delivered on her training him in the ways of god's word so think for a moment have you kept your promises to the Lord? Some of you made promises to the Lord. Have you kept them? Delivered on them? And then is the Lord glorified through the answers that he gives to you? So, what a great story shattered expectations, a messy life, life gone all to pieces, and yet God answers a prayer and accomplishes his purposes all at the same time. Does it always turn out like that? No, it doesn't. Let's be honest. We're going to go through this book of 1 Samuel. We're going to see some more shattered lives, and we're going to see that it doesn't always turn out this way. But I want to remind us that the book of Hebrews has the hall of faith in it which speaks of Samuel, by the way. It mentions Samuel in the hall of faith. But when it talks about these people that were heroes in the faith, it says these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. So there's some things in life that we will not see God answer. But it also says in that same book, that same letter to the Hebrews, that they looked forward to something better. And I keep reminding us, that's what God is trying to teach us, that we look forward to something better. We know that that something better is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we look forward to. He's a Savior. He died on the cross for your sin and my sin. If you trust him for that, he'll forgive you of your sin. If you repent of yours... He was raised again in victory over death and sin. He's a savior. He's a friend. We take our prayers to our friend, to the Lord Jesus. He'll never, never leave you. He'll never, never forsake you according to the scriptures. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we go through this book and pull out all these little lessons And don't remember that it's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. We will have missed the point. Will you trust him? Will you trust him no matter the answer that he gives this morning? So bring your shattered expectations to the Lord, and he will carry us through. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word I thank you that it points to your son, Jesus. It's in him that we trust. And I thank you, God, that you see us and know us and know our lives and that that Jesus experienced all these things as he lived among us. And so we can go boldly to the throne of grace. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.